What's going on, folks? Back at it again with a 20th and Blake podcast, part of MyHighSports.com. I am your host, Luke Zalman. And there's a lot to break down from the series that just happened against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously, that third game, they were able to get the win on a Rymel Tapia bases-clearing triple and that Ryan McMahon subsequent hit to drive him in. Um, huge win for them, considering how the rest of the weekend went. Um, we'll just jump right into that. Obviously, Rymel Tapia has been basically relegated to being the fourth outfielder for much of the year, hasn't really gotten his playing time, but he finally has started to get it. They're finally starting to bench Desmond a little bit amongst his struggles, and it's really starting to pay off for them. Um, he's, he has the He's tied for the lead in the NL with triples. Um, he's really starting to turn it on. Um, that triple again today. Um, he's just, he's really, he's starting to finally figure out how to be a major league hitter. His average is up to 272 now. Um, not not the absolute like world beating you know average that you could expect out of a guy, but it's a lot better than what Ian Desmond is bringing to the table. Um, and it's it's been a very very good sign for them. I mean, obviously everyone knows about his speed. His speed, especially on these triples, especially on that inside the park home run, everyone can see the speed. But finally, he's starting to barrel the ball up. And his barrel rate is start is at his highest that it's ever been. Exit velocity is at the highest it's ever been. Um, his expected numbers are at the highest they've ever been. He's finally starting to put it together. Earlier in his career, it was always a 0-2 count, 1-2 count, 2-2 count. He was always getting down two strikes. That hasn't completely stopped yet, but now he's starting to get hits. And it's something that Ryan McMahon really expected when I talked to him. I mean, I've played with him since rookie ball. So this is just tappy being tappy to me. Um, so, but yeah, like you said, man, he, he can do a lot of amazing things out there on the ball field. And it's great that he's getting a chance to play because you're, you're starting to see, you know, the type of player that he can be. So as you can hear, Ryan McMahon knows what he has in Rymel Tapia. He's played with him before, even before the majors. He knows what he can bring to the table. Um, and the triple was just, it was out of this world that he was able to get that. He's had a ton of success against Archie Bradley. So he talked about how confident he was going into that at bat. Um, prior to that, he did have a pinch hit grand slam off Archie Bradley last year um, to walk it off. Um, and he's just been absolutely crazy against him. He's also now three for six with the bases loaded in his career, which is one of the more high-pressure situations you can put a young hitter in. Rymel Tapia, he's been able to put it all together. He's finally starting on a consistent basis. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they switch it up when they have a lefty on the mound. Um, my assumption with all his starts right now, based on what Bud Black has said, it doesn't seem like they're permanently trying to bench Ian Desmond yet. Um, I would I would narrow it down to it being two righties in a row. Um, against Robbie Ray, they were able to get Desmond some swings. But Rymel Tapia was able to face both Luke Weaver and Zach Granke, both righties. Granke had another good start today. Luke Weaver had an amazing start yesterday. The offense really couldn't get it going. Um, against Granke, you could see their game plan coming to fruition. They were trying to go opposite field the entire game. Nolan Arenado, David Dahl, they knew that he was going to try to mix in that cutter, mix in the slider, mix in that fastball on the corners, and they were just trying to take it the other way. And it really worked for the offense, especially as it got later in his start. And they were able to, you know, put on a couple more runs. 
both the single and double that started off the fifth that started to get the Rockies back in it before Herman was able to he he got jammed but he was able to take it up the middle get it a couple RBIs both of those hits were opposite field hits they were trying all day to go opposite field and it was I think it was very interesting to see as a team them knowing what their game plan is and being able to execute it so many times this year they haven't been able to execute game plans and it's been something that's really hurt them in a lot of games um lots of strikeouts you know just not successful at bats especially with runners in scoring position and you could already tell earlier in the game that that may be different today charlie blackman leads the game off with a double then trevor story moves him over and then daniel murphy gets the sack fly to drive him in that's exactly what they need, and that's what they've wanted all year. They want the productive outs. They want the things that can move runners, score runners. They want everything that is overall productive. They don't want strikeouts. They don't want grounding in the double plays. They don't want things that are just by their nature not good for the team. So Rymel Tapia coming in again, um, just absolutely destroying a pitch from Archie Bradley. He got a fastball in the zone. Didn't try to do too much with it. That was something that Bud Black really liked from what he saw. He didn't try to do too much with it. And Rymel Tapia's, the most success he's had has been against fastballs this year. He's been able to bury, barrel them up. He's been able to put them line drives in there. He's been able to do just about whatever he wants with them. And it's really made him a successful hitter. It'll be interesting to see how often he is in the lineup you know, going forward. They could have an all-lefty outfield. Um, over on the field doesn't really mean much. But in the lineup, if they were to have that all-lefty outfield, plus McMahon, plus Murphy, that's a lot of left-handed bats in the lineup, especially if they're going against a lefty like a Robbie Ray, a Clayton Kershaw. You know, guys like that that they're going to have to face during the year. So I would still expect to see Desmond in the lineup some. Um, I've been, I've been shouting about it. Everyone else has been shouting about it from, you know, the top of mountains that he needs to get less playing time because he just hasn't been successful. And Ian Desmond is a great guy. It's not anything about his character. He just has not been able to put it together in a Rockies uniform. And he's one of the few that you haven't seen him put it together. I mean, Justin Morneau comes to Colorado, does amazing. Michael Kadire does amazing. Even Mark Reynolds came, did amazing. Everyone that comes to Colorado seems to do amazing, but Ian Desmond has, has been on the opposite side of that trend, and it's really set them back as an offense overall, I'd say. Um, in his last game, he was able to go, you know, 0 for 4. That's really not what you need. He did get an RBI, was able to, you know, drive in a run, but other than that, he did, you know, he did nothing. He wasn't able to push runs across the way they need from him. And when you have Tapia doing what he's doing, and then you have other guys in the lineup um, against Ray when Desmond played, you got Blackman goes two for five. Arenado goes three for five. You have Hansen who comes in, goes two for two. You have guys that are being successful, and you can't have such a roadblock in your lineup. It just breaks up everything you're trying to do. Um, but overall, great win for them. They didn't get swept, which was the biggest part of it. Um, getting swept in a situation like that um, when they are already behind the A ball a little bit in the NL West um, would have been a disaster. But they're able to put double-digit hits on the board, able to take advantage of an error, um, able to put eight runs up, obviously. Um, so good for them. 
once again, Marquez, you know, Marquez continued to str- this trend of starters not being not doing well for them. I mean, Kyle Freeland wasn't able to do anything at all. He pitched five innings, allowed a career high eight runs. I mean, Tyler Anderson gets destroyed. He gets demoted. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit is Tyler Anderson. I know it is easy to just point out, hey, he's not doing well. He's getting destroyed. But there's underlying things that are hurting him. And one of the things that, that as the media we talked to him about, talked to Bud Black about, was maybe tipping pitches. It seemed so often in his latest start that they knew exactly what he was going to do before he even did it. When he was able to throw the cutter, when he was able to throw his changeup, they knew exactly what was coming. And so that's part of what has you know enabled him to allow the most earned runs in the entire National League and allow five or more earned runs in five or fewer, fewer innings for all of his first five starts. That's the first time that's happened since 1913. When you're having bad streaks that date back to 1913, that is not bad. When you look at his expected numbers, his expected WOBA, his expected slugging, all of his expected numbers of the success that opponents are going to have off of him all signal that he is truly this bad. But his hard hit percentage is down compared to past years. The problem is his soft hit percentage is way down. It's around 12% right now. He's not inducing the ground balls. He's not tricking hitters. He's throwing his changeup, and he's throwing his fastball, and that's all he has right now. He hasn't been able to locate his curveball, hasn't been able to locate his cutter, hasn't been able to locate even his... You know, even that sinker that he can break in every now and then. So he's just completely ditched it and switched to almost exclusively four seams and changeups. If you are among the Kenley Jansen types, obviously he's a closer, but if you can throw a high 90s heater and then utilize off speed stuff, it can work. But when you're like Tyler Anderson and you're throwing low 90s fastballs, and a changeup, that's when it's not going to work. His changeups, a huge portion of them have been in the middle of the zone, especially in his latest start. And his four seam has been completely unpredictable for him. It seems like he's kind of guessing where it's going to go, as opposed to actually being able to, you know, determine where he wants it to go and be able to hit locations. He missed multiple locations, talking to. Talking to Chris Ionetta after his start, there were so many mislocations during his during his start. And opponents are making very solid contact on those, which, like I said, that means they know what's coming. Even outside of the zone, they are making contact at a career high rate for him. And so you can tell that they that all of his opponents on the year know exactly what he's doing, and that's why he's getting screwed up. It's nothing mechanically. It's all inconsistency, so that's why they sent him down. Obviously, every case is different, and Bud Black alluded to that as well. But it strikes a it strikes a glaring resemblance to what happened to John Gray last year. And when I talked to him about that, he said, "You know, I had no idea where my pitches were going. I didn't have my stuff. I didn't have anything to put people away." And that's exactly what's happening to Tyler Anderson. And you can tell that it's happening to him because of the type of contact that's happening. When he's throwing his two best pitches, his two only pitches, really. Um, So it makes sense why he got sent down. 
Um, they call it BNC Almonte. They call it DJ Johnson. Harrison Musgrave goes on the injured list. They kind of shook it up a little bit. Luckily, they have an off day tomorrow, which means that they do not have to worry about who's going to replace Tyler Anderson until later in the week. And Bud Black has said that multiple times, that he does not know who's going to start. There's speculation. Um, the, the easiest name to speculate is Jeff Hoffman. Last night, he started, went five and two-thirds and struck out ten, only allowed one earned run. Now, granted, his ERA is at 7.4 on the year. But that was a very big start for him. And when he did come and pitch, I believe against the Nationals, maybe I'm messing that up because they played Nationals and Philly so close together, all the colors, it's it messes with you. But when he pitched against the Nationals, he actually looked good. He only allowed a couple earned runs. He kept them in it, and that's what they need. Um, I don't see many people outside of him. I mean, Ryan Castellani and Peter Lambert are both very young and both very raw. I don't see them getting that opportunity. Um, but like I said, they don't have to make the decision till it looks like it'll probably be Saturday based on the team announced probable starters. It looks like that's when they're going to have to worry about it. And they could even utilize Chad Bettis. I mean, they do not need to use one of their AAA pitchers. Um, Anilo Piro wrote a very good article about the possibility of trading for Marcus Stroman for the Blue Jays. It's a very good possibility that they could at least entertain it because they've worked so much with the Blue Jays. Obviously, they get Sengwon O, and they got the Troy Tulowitzki done with the Blue Jays. So there's that there's that stream of connection with Jeff Reidich that maybe they can put something together. Um, they have Colton Welker. They have some you know they have some pieces on the farm. Sam Hilliard, some guys that maybe they could throw the Blue Jays ways, and maybe that would result in them being willing to look at a deal for him. Um, I don't see them signing Dallas Keuchel. There's been no rumored interest. And Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post actually brought up a very good point talking to him the other day. And it's that fans, media, everyone can speculate that Dallas Keuchel is a great addition for them, even with the draft pick, without the draft pick, whatever it may be. They can say, well, the Rockies have the money. Why are they not doing it? But there's two sides to it. Dallas Keuchel may not want to come to Colorado. And why would he want to come to Colorado? The risk that would come into coming to pitch to Colorado on a one-year deal when he's trying to get a big contract is immense. He could come and completely implode. And then his free agent options after that are completely gone. He cannot, he will not be able to get a long-term contract if he implodes in Colorado during the year. Given how he's pitched the last couple years, obviously he wins the Cy Young a couple years ago, um, had an amazing year that year, but since he's been he's been average. He hasn't been great, hasn't been bad. He's been he's been average. So if he were to come to Colorado and say post a you know four or five ERA um, the rest of the year through I don't know 110 innings, 100 innings, you know whatever he would be able to compile in that short amount of time. That does not help him. No one wants to sign a pitcher that has a 4-5 ERA to a long-term deal. He would likely have to deal with another, you know, show-me type deal. And that is not what he wants. He's already having to deal with that this year. Um, so it's it, it wouldn't make any sense from my point of view for them or for him to want to come. It makes sense for the Rockies. He's a great ground ball pitcher. He's a great innings eater. It's, it makes sense for them. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But for him to want to come to Colorado, that is a big if. 
Um, looking around the rest of the NL West, while we're kind of talking about their series against Arizona, um, it's going to be a very tough year for them. San Diego's above 500. Arizona's above 500. Just won two out of three. And LA's above 500. The Rockies are sitting right above the Giants. And that is not where you want to be considering the perceived talent discrepancy between the Giants and the Rockies. I think the Padres do cool off as the year goes on. Um, just as far as Joey Lucchese dealing with, you know, a heavy innings total. Um, you have Chris Paddock that could be dealing with an innings limit as he goes along the rest of the year. Um, so it's going to be very difficult for them to keep up what they're doing. But the future for them is bright. Tatis, Machado, Hosbert, Will Myers, they have so many players that they can throw at a team. And then they also have an amazing young staff. So they're going to be a problem. It's not a question. They're going to be a problem in the in the years upcoming. Um, I don't think they will be this year, but Arizona can probably stick around if they keep this up. I mean, Cattell Marte has just been dynamite this year. I know he's only hitting 267, but that doesn't tell the whole story. He has completely rejuvenated all of the power that he can, you know, all the power that he could possibly mount. He has been able to just absolutely destroy opposing pitching this year. Um, he's already got nine home runs on the year. He's hit, he hit multiple against the Rockies in their three game set. He's going to be a problem this year. And they also have good pitching. Zach Granke showed it again today. Luke Weaver looks rejuvenated now that he got traded. Um, Robbie Ray is inconsistent as far as control, but he on any given day can strike out 10 batters and it wouldn't surprise anyone. It's that's what he does. He's a huge strikeout guy. And on any given day, he can he can put everything together and shut down an entire team. And then you have underrated guys like Eduardo Escobar that are gonna you know pick things up. You have Christian Walker, a young kid at first. Um, they're going to be good. And for the Rockies to catch them losing this series was not great. Now they're four and eight in the division. Um, that makes it very hard to make up, you know, some of those tiebreakers if they are able to catch all the way up. Their run differential is minus eight. Compare that to both the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. Dodgers are at plus 35. Diamondbacks are at plus 30. That is a lot of ground to make up. They could even do it in a very hot weekend series, but that's still a lot of ground to make up. LA lost to San Diego today on that Hunter Renfro Grand Slam, but they're as dangerous as a team can get, and they're not even fully, fully there yet. I mean, Corey Seager still isn't completely healthy. Clayton Kershaw is still finding his groove. Walker Bueller hasn't hit his stride yet this year. They could get even better than they are, especially with the type of arms they have. I mean, when you have a pitcher like Ross Stripling, how can I put this? If you were to put Ross Stripling on the Rockies, he would be their number two starter right now. He is in it. He is a great pitcher, and he showed it last year. He even got an all-star nod, I believe. And so he, him coming out of their bullpen as a middle reliever um, is just out of this world. That shows you the type of depth they have in their arms. And they have Luis Urias coming out of the – Julio Urias, excuse me, thinking of the guy from San Diego. Um, Julio Urias coming out of the bullpen as well. Um, they are going to be a very dangerous team. Um, the Rockies have a ways to go. I don't see them catching up in the division. The wild card race with the NL Central, the NL East, is going to be very difficult as well. 
Um, it's hard to envision them going to the playoffs, but that's just after a month. A lot of things can happen. Um, so they are by no means out of it. Um, finalizing the show with, once again, a little bit of a mailbag segment. Um, I asked you guys to send in your questions. Please do. I, I love getting questions because you guys have a lot of the questions that in the press box, when people are looking at the stats, they have the exact same questions. We just have access to go talk to people, and then we can give you the answers to those questions. Um, first one, Brendan Rodgers is on a hot streak in AAA. Are there any rumors about a call-up? No. There are no rumors as of right now from Bud Black, any of the players, the front office. No one has even brought up Brendan Rodgers. I completely agree. He is on a tear. I think putting his tear in context is necessary when you talk about his first and opening call-up. I think they may consider it down the road, but right now, I think they're completely focused on their pitching. Their bats have started to put it together. I don't think they perceive that as their biggest problem. It's their pitching. And so when you look at a guy like Rodgers, who has fewer than 50 games at AAA, um, I think that guys like Sam Hilliard, Jonathan Daza, Pat Vileka, guys like that, I think are more likely to get, get called up because they also are tearing it up in the minors, and they would all, I believe, be more prepared. I think the biggest thing with a guy like Brendan Rodgers, Trevor's story is kind of an outlier. When you see a shortstop that is able to come up and right away destroy things, that is an outlier. That does not happen to everyone. So to think that Brendan Rodgers could come in right away and be able to have the kind of success that a guy like that had, I think is a little foolhardy considering he doesn't have those major league or those minor league appearances at the AAA level. Um, I think it's a it's a very good possibility that Rockies fans see him between now and this same time next year. I think there's a very good chance that he gets called up in that time. But as of right now, there he just there's nowhere for him to play without an injury. Obviously, injuries can change everything, but I think it would take two to three injuries for him to get that call up because they still have Hanson on the bench still have a guy like Mark Reynolds, um, they would have to have an increasing number of injuries for them to resort to calling him up. Um, so I, I get the excitement. He's one of their better prospects they've had in recent, in recent memory, um, but it's going to be a little while still, so definitely tame the expectations there. Um, next one, we need to do something about the front end of our bullpen. Any idea what they can do? I... This is a weird question because I don't directly want to say someone's wrong, but that's, it's just not true. The bullpen has been the absolute best part of the Rockies team this year. I mean, they've had some very, very good performances from guys like Scott Oberg, from guys like, you know, you've had Brian Shaw go off. Wade Davis has been amazing. Chad Bettis has done well in the bullpen, and they also have guys like Carlos Estevez that on any given day can shut someone down. Um, I, I, I just disagree. I don't think there's anything they plan on doing or anything they need to do currently about their bullpen. If the expectation is that their bullpen needs to be better than it's it has been right now, I think the expectations are too high. Their bullpen has been one of the best in the entire National League. Um, to expect them to turn into you know one of these elite teams that has bullpen arm after bullpen arm after bullpen arm that are shut down guys they're not the new york yankees they don't have the payroll of the new york yankees they can't throw out 
Ottavino, then Britton, then Matanzas, then Araldis. They can't do something like that. But based on the results this year, I don't see any problem with the way they're with the way they're heading. And then you also get Jake McGee and Chris Russin back if you're blood Bud Black. They're both about to head out to rehab assignments. So those are in-house additions they're gonna make. And then you don't have to maybe rely on a guy like DJ Johnson as much. Um, you won't have to rely on Harrison Musgrave once he's healthy. Um, it's just not a need for them. There's been no speculation that they're going to address it. There's been no need for them to address it. If they're going to address anything, it's probably going to be that starting rotation. Um, so good question. I get it from a fan's point of view, just kind of watching the games. You see, okay, um, Mike Dunn just got destroyed tonight. Okay, you know, someone else gets destroyed. And it makes it seem like their bullpen isn't doing that well. But I think context is needed in the fact that they are one of the best in the league through this season's first month. Um, so there's just no changes needed currently. Um, that's all I have for this podcast. We will release one again upcoming this week, um, maybe on Tuesday before the San Francisco series. Um, big series for them after they lost 3-1 to one last time in San Francisco. Big home set for them. Um, so, and then they play San Diego. So there's a lot of upcoming games that are vitally important to them. Um, so they need Freeland to bounce back. They need Herman to bounce back. They need John Gray to continue his bounce back. Um, and they just need a lot of success from their rotation and their offense upcoming. So we'll have another one. Check out all the content we have on the website. Um, great features coming out. Uh, we'll have one tomorrow. I will have one tomorrow about kind of the veterans and their influence on the youth. Um, later in the week, I have a piece about John Gray coming up. So be sure to look into those. Be sure to keep checking on Mile High Sports. Look at my content. Look at Anilo Piro's content. Um, we work really hard. Let us know if you have any suggestions. Um, always listening as well. Um, so we'll talk to you next time, guys.